Hello and welcome to Dragon Bites, the paediatric podcast aimed at paediatric trainees or anyone interested in child health. I'm Asim, one of the paediatric trainees based here in Wales. We have another one of our career podcasts for you, this one all about applying to the Respiratory Grid programme. We've been fortunate enough today to be joined by Dr Christopher Grime, consultant in paediatric respiratory medicine, sleep and long-term ventilation based at Alderhey Hospital, and also by Claire Edmondson, who's one of the current respiratory grid trainees working in the University Hospital of Wales. This episode has been hosted by Tom Cromarty, who's one of our previous hosts with Dragon Bites. We also have a new host with us as well, Alice Knight, one of the current trainees in Wales. So let's take it away. My name's Tom. I'm one of the paediatric trainees in Wales. We've got another one of the new Dragon Bites hosts in Alice. Hello! (laughs) (laughs) And um, today we're lucky enough to be joined by uh, Claire and Chris uh, for our Respiratory Grid podcast. So I think if we could start with Claire, um, who's one of the Respiratory Grid trainees in Wales. Um, hopefully we can hear from you first and if you could tell us a bit about yourself and um, your medical career to date. Hi, yeah, um, thanks Tom um, and Alice, thanks for inviting me on. Uh, my name is Claire, I'm an ST7 um, paediatric respiratory grid trainee currently in Cardiff. I did my undergraduate training up in Manchester and actually did a foundation year as part of that because I don't have any science A-levels. Um, and I then moved to London for my um, F1 and F2 and stayed there to do my paediatric training, which is actually where I met Chris, who you're going to hear from next. Um, I finished my ST5 down there and did a three-year PhD um, with Imperial College London and the Royal Brompton and applied for respiratory grid uh, during the time while I was doing my PhD. And I was lucky enough to get a grid post um in Bristol and Cardiff so you do a year in Bristol and a year in Cardiff and so I'm in my second year then and then you do your final year either at Bristol or Cardiff there's a bit of flexibility with that um and that's where I'm up to now. Fantastic well next if we could move on to Chris uh very nice to have you on board for this podcast as well and I believe you're in Alderhey today. That's right yeah so uh I'm up in um lovely sunny Liverpool uh, where I started my journey, I did I did my undergraduate uh, degree in Liverpool, and I was the first year of um, foundation training, during which I did some paediatrics and decided that's what was the specialty for me. So then I applied for paediatric run-through. I was the first year of paediatric run-through when the uh, ST system was set up, and uh, started at Liverpool, and did that till ST5, and then applied for respiratory grids and decided to spread my wings and move to London which is where I met Claire. I was the respiratory reg at the Brompton in London, and Claire was my SHO. Uh, I did a year at Brompton and then applied for a research post and was the Brompton's paediatric sleep research fellow for two years. And I did an MD with Imperial College at that time. Um, So I I didn't work as hard as Claire did, but I did two years of doing that. And then I finished my grid off with six months at PICU at St. Thomas's and uh, Guy's and Thomas's Evelina. I did six months of respiratory at King's and then a year finishing it off at Grace Ormond Street 
I then did a postgraduate uh, fellowship at Great Ormond Street in long-term events, and then came to Liverpool to do the consultant job I'm doing now. Started in August 2018, and my job now is uh, consultant in paediatric respiratory medicine, sleep, and long-term ventilation. Amazing! Wow, that's um, that's quite a journey. So, um, going back a, a few steps, what made you choose paediatrics, Claire? You're asking, it was a long time ago when I picked paediatrics now. <laughs> um, I think part of the initial appeal to for paediatrics for me, to paediatrics for me, was that um, actually you they can't necessarily tell you what's wrong and you have to be their advocate and pick things apart and kind of... It, it, puzzle because they're not actually able to tell you what hurts what things feel like particularly well um and there there's an added element of uh, detective work to it um and also i mean who doesn't like stickers and toys and bubbles and great things that we get to play with on a on a daily basis um i don't know i as soon as i started med school i knew that pediatrics was where i was um headed and then have just taken a slightly different path through it than I initially thought. Mm. So what was this slightly different path that you took? I was going to do pediatric oncology. Um, and then and, and actually thought particularly hard about uh, any other specialties, I guess. Um, and was allocated, but was allocated a job at the Brompton. Um, the Royal Brompton, which is a hospital in London that um, just does uh, respiratory and cardiac medicine um, and absolutely fell in love with the patient cohort of respiratory medicine and the all of the exciting and different avenues that uh, were available. Um, and it just changed my whole outlook on, on where I thought my career path was going to go. Oh, wow. So that was really like a kind of pivotal point in your um, in your training then. Hugely pivotal, yeah. Wow. And what about you then, Chris, going back um, to why did you choose paediatrics in the first place? I think it was a gross. Um, yeah, I knew through medical school that paediatrics was more fun and I had a few optional rotations to, to make sure that was the case. And I was pretty sure that's what I wanted to do. And I remember sitting in the emergency department at a hospital in called St. Helens here in Merseyside, which is a pretty deprived area. And it was midnight on a Saturday night, and I was the F2 in the department, and we were just full of drug addicts and alcoholics and we had police patrol in the department. I just thought to myself, yeah, paediatrics, that seems like a good idea. And, uh, yeah, it, it was just, it was more fun. I like the fact that the paediatric population, the most part, were dealing with pure pathology rather than um, socially or life-induced pathologies you know kids can't help being ill and also when kids are better they don't lie about it you know when a kid's better it's visible to all and when they're not well it's visible to all for the most part so I quite like the honesty that came with paediatrics um and yeah so I, I kind of knew paediatrics was what I wanted to do the only respiratory the only adult job I enjoyed was my respiratory post as an, F, as an F2 uh and I found, found respiratory just a really interesting field it's I quite like that I can almost, almost visualise the anatomy and physiology, um, but it's also quite general. It covers a lot of stuff. So my first rotation as an SG1 was paediatric respiratory, and then I was like, it was a, like a light bulb moment. Oh, yeah, the stars align. This is what I, I want to do. 
Um, and obviously Claire, I forgot to mention, she was an oncologist through and through until she met me and I helped to see the light. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm responsible for Claire. Oh, it sounds like you were very inspirational. <laughs> um, so what, why, Chris, would you say um, you've obviously influenced Claire's um, training and her progression? Why would you, why should a trainee choose respiratory? Um, for multiple reasons. I think if you decide you want to be a specialist, which is the big decision to make in the first place, general paediatrics is a really fascinating and challenging specialty in itself and I think it gets undervalued a lot so you need to decide do you want to be a specialist and I always liked the idea of um, really becoming experts in some some particular fields and feeling like I knew what I was talking about in that area so I kind of knew I wanted to be a specialist it suited what I was looking for and then for me for respiratory as I said I, I, I think the respiratory system is one that is quite you can visualize what's going wrong you can imagine a bronchioptatic area, you can imagine a cystic fibrosis lung. It just, it's very, and I'm quite a visual person, so I liked that. There's also the fact that the respiratory is quite general. You know, by default, we look after the CF kids, and you're dealing with multi system disease rather than just respiratory. So it kind of brought in the specifics for the generalness of medicine. It brought in a bit of the acute medicine I liked with ventilation, with acute exacerbations, but it also brought in the chronic management that I like. Like with the you know the asthmatics that you you look after for few years, the CF kids. Um, so there's a, a lot of things going in there. But it also, if you if you get down the nitty gritty of what the lifestyle is of a specialist, it's one of those specialties that you can have quite a nice balanced life. There is an acute element to it if you want it, but also it's not the kind of specialty where you're going to be called in at all hours to deal with to echoing kids who are born or putting PD casters in. So it gives you a nice balance between acute. Ill, illness but also a more chronic management that lends itself to better work-life balance i would say um it, it gives you a better balance unless claire was your sho she's famously the reason i got called in more times than anyone else at the Brompton because uh, she seems to attract bad news on calls that is very true actually i did call him in a lot oh dear <laughs> um, so um so what stage are your are you in your training now claire like what point are you through the the grid process um so I am basically halfway through um I'm halfway through my ST7 year um respiratory grid you can do in two and a half years or three um, most people end up doing the full three so I've got 18 months left to go um because I doubt that I will uh try and bring that forward at the moment Okay, and and Chris, how long is it since you've been out of uh, you've been out of training uh, and finished your grid? I in um, it would have been the, uh, August two thousand seventeen. So I did the three year grid, but I extended it by doing two years of research during the grid, and then I did the post CCT fellowship. So uh, and, and then I've been a consultant for nearly two years now. So I did, I ended up, essentially, my, I felt like my training had been five years. Uh, my research job involved a couple of clinics a week and some on calls. So it, it was, it really was, I felt like I managed to extend mine out. I think there's a, there's a real fear of being in the system too long and wants to get through and lots of pressures for people to finish training. But you need to finish when you feel like you're ready to finish. You might never feel like you're ready to be a consultant, but you definitely get to a point where you're done with being a trainee. And I'll definitely, by, the, by my 
what was 13th year of trading. I definitely was in that count. Um, but yeah, there's an opportunity to shorten the trading, which I wouldn't encourage because I just think the more experience you get, the better, you, the better you're going to feel when you're a grown up at the other end. Thank you very much for explaining all that. Um, so there's like opportunities to do um, research or kind of develop an interest in it as well, is there? Yeah, I think actually um, the majority of uh, grid um, respiratory grid trainees do further research. Um, there is a bit of a, a misunderstanding, I think, that goes around before people actually apply for grid that you'll be competing against lots of people who already have a PhD or an MD in research. And I don't think that that is true. Um, but there is an expectation that most trainees will uh, carry out some form of further research either before they start their grid post or during their grid post. It's um, it's un unusual for a trainee to go all the way through and having done no extra research, which I think was for me was for another was another appeal of doing respiratory um grid, the the ability to do some extra research, even if you then decide to go back completely clinically afterwards, um, and being exposed to that slightly different experience. Fantastic. What would you say is the most rewarding part of your job, Claire? The most rewarding part that I find actually is developing relationships with the teenagers um, that have chronic respiratory conditions and feeling like you've actually um, developed a relationship with them where they can talk to you about issues they're having regarding managing to fit all their medication into the, um, their day or um, talking to their friends about their illness or you know sometimes they tell you things that they they haven't told other doctors or or even their parents sometimes um, and I find that really rewarding because with our chronic with our patients with chronic conditions like our patients with cystic fibrosis or primary ciliary dyskinesia we see them a lot and you develop um quite close relationships with them and uh, encouraging teenagers to take more responsibility for their health, I find hugely rewarding um, in this job. Great. Um, and what about you then, Chris? What would you say is the most rewarding part of your job? Uh, I think similar things to Claire. I, I work as part of the difficult asthma team here at Alderhaven. We run this MDT service involving physios and psychologists and nurses and we deal with a lot of those poorly compliant asthmatic teenagers. And it's um, very much about empowering the teenager to, or the young person to recognize their illness is their illness. It's not the parents, it's theirs, and they need to take responsibility for it. And I can't quite enjoy that. Um, of late, I've got very into, we're trying to um, advance our sleep service here in Liverpool. And I'm, even as a consultant, I'm learning new things, I'm learning new pathologies, I'm, I'm teaching myself new skills. Um, so that I can provide a better service to patients. So I, I quite enjoy continuing to learn stuff and put it into practice. And weirdly, I never thought this would be the case, but I found some of the management elements of consultancy being given a set amount of money and, and staff and trying to make the best out of what you've got. I, quite, I find that quite rewarding these days. I've set, I'm trying to fit challenges and identify problems or or gaps in our service that need filling and then trying to find the best people in our service to do that and seeing teams develop, seeing individuals, allied professionals, nurses, for example, um, expand into new roles and learn new skills and improve the improve care. That really, I really enjoy that at the moment, which um, 
it's not a very cool thing to say that you like management, but it, there's definitely something about it that um, is useful and has its benefits. Well, thanks. Thanks for those uh, kind of prolonged introductions, Chris and Claire. Um, the next point I wanted to come on to was more about the, the kind of ins and out of the, the grid itself. So I don't know if, if Claire's probably um, in the thick of it at the moment, better to, to let us know. How, how, I think you mentioned it might be two and a half to three years. What, what kind of posts are incorporated into the programme? Yeah, so it, it gets advertised um, as a kind of a three-year post, but with the ability to do it in two and a half. But I think most people, like we were saying earlier, most people do tend to do it over the three years unless they've got um, previous experience that they would like to get credit for. Um, and the jobs tend to be... Um, year placements in hospitals and the jobs tend to be advertised a lot of them are kind of paired jobs so um like the bristol cardiff job you do um a year in bristol and then a year in cardiff and then the final year you have a bit of choice about whether you would like to do your final year in bristol or your final year in cardiff um and a lot of the posts are are combined posts when they get advertised and you'll be split over two cities so you get experience in um more than one center uh the only slight difference with that one is london where the posts are all in london but you move around at least two if not three of the main london respiratory centers um and then when you're in the post itself um most of the hospitals you get exposed to all respiratory services within that that year and then the the bit that is un, up for discussion and some people do and some people don't is that you can also do a six month pediatric intensive care placement as part of um respiratory grid it's not compulsory it is recommended by a lot of the consultants who have finished grid i know that chris did a picu placement as part of his grid and i'm actually going back to bristol in march to do six months on picu to get a bit more exposure to the kind of acute um ventilation uh services and the acute management of post-cardiac surgery acute respiratory management of post-cardiac surgery etc but um picu is is optional within respiratory grid but does mean that you can get some exposure to that super and if uh trainees have got particular interests in kind of specific uh parts of of respiratory medicine be it in sleep or or whatever um should they apply to specific areas or or is it best just to get you know a, you can get a general flavour in any of the grids across the country. I think, and Chris, see if Chris agrees with me, but I think actually because of how respiratory is run in most of the hospitals, across, most of the tertiary hospitals across the country, actually it, it doesn't matter particularly where you um, apply for your grid placement because every tertiary respiratory hospital does sleep, every tertiary respiratory hospital does um, cystic fibrosis, has a difficult asthma service in, in some guise or another. So actually you can get a lot of exposure in all of the um, the centres across the country. So I wouldn't, I don't think you necessarily have to move or tailor your, your uh, application purely around one tertiary hospital. Would you agree with that, Chris? Yeah, I think you're right. You... The, a centre can't submit a grid post unless it's able to provide training in all different components of the grid syllabus. So you'll find it, it's all covered. The idea of developing an interest within respiratory is is kind of an unofficial thing. You find that something that you particularly like 
uh, and then you tailor your CV to match that, as what you do in any any walk of life through pediatrics. Um, if you were to do research, sometimes that tends to lend you to be more in that vein. For example, you know Claire did her PhD with CF kids, so there's a bit more CF in her field, maybe. Whereas I did my MD in sleep medicine, so and I naturally ended up an interest in sleep and LTV, um, which is why I was then applying for jobs that where they were looking for someone to be more involved in the sleep and LTV department. You find some centres, the consultants do everything. I think a lot of centres, the consultants are starting to fragment into little subspecialties themselves. For example, I look after the CF kids as an inpatient, but I don't do CF clinic. I'm not part of the CF team. I don't help develop the CF guidelines, but I do cover the long-term ventilation, which several of my CF consultant colleagues don't do that. So interest within the specialty kind of, I guess, develop organically, um, depending on what you like. And then you you need to kind of be a bit smart and talk to sense that you're looking for a consultant job in and say, well, what are you looking for? Because I've got this skill set um, and see whether it suits what they're looking for. I will just pick up on the points that Claire mentioned about research. It is required as part of the grid you do some form of research, but it doesn't have to officially be a higher degree like we've done. As long as you've done something and show that you understand the process of research, that's sufficient. It's just, I think it's very beneficial if you can take time out and do a formal higher degree of some sort. But there are grid trainees who've done it and didn't do formal research. They just had experience in something else. You just need to show you understand the process of how research comes about and and that you are going to be able to involve that in your training, in your consultant life in the future. Super, that's really helpful. And just to check, LTV is that long-term ventilation? Yeah, long-term ventilation. Sorry, he's using all the slang. All the respect yeah, slang. Yeah, you cool kids in the street, you know these slangs. Sorry, guys. <laughs> um, yeah, long-term, LTV is long-term ventilation. So uh, technology-dependent children is the uh, one of the sexier terms for it. Okay, okay. And um, I'm glad you brought up some of those kind of specific requirements like research there. Are there any others that, you know, the trainees would have to achieve by the end of their training? So bronchoscopy. The ability to do bronchoscopy is a requirement um, by the end of training. So um, you most um, trainees at the start of their grid training go on some form of bronchoscopy course so they can learn how to do it. Um, And then there is an expectation that by the end of your training, you will have performed. I'm not sure there's a necessarily official number, but at least 25 uh, kind of independently with a consultant in the room, but not touching the scope by the time that you've finished your training. I think things are slacking off since I did it. I think it was 50 I had to do independently when I was training. <laughs> See, don't think there's a, an official number, but you keep a logbook as you um, progress through your training of all of the bronchoscopies that you've done, and that gets reviewed every year, um, and you get told if you're, you know, um, hitting your targets. I must say, bronchoscopy sounds like a pretty impressive skill to have. What about trainees who are looking to um, to apply to GRID and want to show um, you know, that they've got some experience or got an interest already? Is there anything you can recommend to them for that? I think people get worried about pl- applying to GRID and showing interest in specialties um, more than they need to, perhaps, because I think the uh, people who review applications and things, they're very aware that you don't have full choice over all of your uh, placements and you may be incredibly interested in something but struggle to get proper official placements in those specialties because of you know numbers and availability of, of placements across the country and so anything 
even vaguely respiratory orientated shows an interest um you know you could be doing an a and e uh placement and then you look at your acute bronchiolitis admissions for example um you don't have to be in a you don't have to have gained a respiratory post in your SEHO and uh, core years to be able to do respiratory you can because respiratory is quite general you can use um, experiences from all of your posts and be able to twist it um, to get something respiratory driven out of it yeah I think I agree with Clyde you, you official, the official party line is you don't need any respiratory experience to apply for respiratory quiz but you you want to apply with a a CV that shows you are interested in respiratory. Um, if you've never done anything to do with respiratory, the panel are going to ask questions. Well, do you even know what the specialty is, and uh, and are you applying for the right reasons? So it's like anything. If you want to show that you're willing to go above and beyond with an interest in something, find something to do. Every DGH has somebody who will be the respiratory lead in that team. So partner up with them and find out they've got projects they want doing, audits, anything that can, you can do. I had I done three months of pediatric respiratory medicine as an STU one when I applied. But I managed to do a couple of posters at conferences. I did a lot of teaching with APLS and NLS and GIC, uh, the generic structures course and that kind of thing. So my CV did read like someone who was interested in doing a bit of research and interested in teaching, um, which essentially, you know, the, the grid interview is see the grid interview is to see whether you are suitable to be a consultant specialist in a teaching hospital. So if you think of it that way. That you don't have to have the most experienced respiratory CV to go for it. You just need to show that you're willing to do a bit more. Because this is an interview after all. You can't, in, you, in no other walk of life would you turn to an interview without proving that you are right for the part. So you need to keep it in mind that, and think about what you can do to make yourself stand out from the crowd. Thanks. And so I suppose just having conversations with some of those respiratory colleagues that are already there might be able to get you, you know, get the foot into those those projects that you're talking about already absolutely i mean I, I had my name on the publication when i applied but it was for tpn and dna so you know the fact that pure facts i've done some i've done some research and contributed to a paper was good enough for the panel to see he's willing to do a bit more and he's shown himself as applying something to applying something different not just to turn up and do the job but you can definitely find as Claire said respiratory is so generic and covers so many bases you can find something that is respiratory even if it's you, you register with the British Thoracic Society and do the asthma audit data entry for your DGH that winter that's something in itself thank you that's fantastic so if a if a trainee is really interested in respiratory um, and they want to they want to apply for grid, how what's your sort of top tips for maximising their chance of getting an interview? Well, I think one of my top tips, which actually isn't specific to respiratory grid, but I think most people maybe don't realise is necessarily available until right before they're about to apply for grid is actually you can get the application shortlisting form off the RCPCH website. GRID is a generic application, regardless of which GRID specialty you're applying to, um, and has uh, several categories like publications, audit, teaching, leadership. Um, and on the RCPCH website is, a, um, is the shortlisting form that gives you the points that you get um, awarded based on what you've got in each uh, of those categories. So I think the first thing that anyone who's thinking about applying for GRID should do is print that off and look at their current CV 
um, and see what things they have that would fit into which category and um, where perhaps their um, application is slightly less um, full and then they can tailor what they do to ensure that they have points in every category because um, you, you know you get points like Chris said you get points for having done the GIC you get points for having take it had a management role um, you know like a rotor management role or a trainee rep role um, and these are things that actually if you're trying to do them just before you apply for grid you may struggle to get everything kind of ticked off but if you're thinking about it a bit earlier in your career you can look at how to strengthen your cv to give yourself the best possible opportunity um, to compete against other people who are applying to the specialty and that's not respiratory specific all of the grid um, applications are generically the same and then other things that i think you could do if you want to um in particular for respiratory there are uh, like Chris said, you can join the BTS and be involved in their national audit programme. Um, the Royal College um, Conference is always looking for respiratory um, papers, uh, posters and presentations. And there's also the British Paediatric Respiratory Society, which you can join, um, which will mean that you are on mailing lists and um, can be uh, in touch with other trainees that are um, either already in grid posts or um, spin posts or who are applying for grid um, and see what else is going on across the country and if there's anything else that you can be involved in. Lots of different opportunities available. I think the only thing, other thing I would suggest is you could do is if you aren't specifically getting a respiratory post in your training, uh, there's no harm in touching base with your local respiratory team at the local uh, teaching hospital. Uh, you know, identifying yourself, introducing yourself, someone else applied for a respiratory grid, and just get known by that team. They might have little projects they want you to do, even if you're not placed with them. That also might be really good support for when you are applying, because they'll have all been through the process themselves or have trainees going through it at the time. So touch base with the local team and see what they can help you with as well. We're very nice people, those respiratory gang. Thanks, that's great. Um, any other top tips on how trainees could improve their score um, for the application? So you've mentioned um, some, some of those aspects, but any other sort of top tips um, for just strengthening that application to give them the best chance? Um, you could just make sure it's very targeted towards spiritually. Like, you know, when there's lots of, the application has lots of free text sections, and anytime somebody, the application is asking you a question, Try and bring a respiratory theme to that answer. Try and find an example that relates to a respiratory pathology of some form or something related to specialty, so that you're when you're reading the application, it reads like someone who wants to do respiratory. And get someone to read your application before you submit it, because I think we have a tendency to undersell um, things in applications, especially written applications, and um, somebody else might read it uh, and be able to write more strongly about uh, how good you would be in certain posts and correct grammar and spelling that you've made. I, actually, I need to leave myself now. I've got a meeting now. Yeah, that's good. It's so weird, like, doing it on this. And um, just before you go, Chris, thank you very much. Um, I know it's a bit weird when you when we're kind of muted and you kind of say stuff and we're almost, like, laughing, but you can't hear us, and then we come on and then we just ask another question. Um, but uh you know i agree with you the respiratory do sound like a nice bunch 
Um, but yeah, thanks very much and um, have, have a good meeting. So that's been some really helpful tips on getting a knockout uh, application form. Um, and then we've successfully been offered an interview. So what, uh, Claire, do you think trainees can do to kind of prepare for that interview? Um, well, the interview uh, process did it and the last couple of years have, have also been the same. So I expect it to change significantly. Uh, you get given a presentation topic before the interview. They tend to be quite broad um, topics. So mine was obesity and respiratory health. Um, and you get given a 10 minute uh, presentation slot where you create a PowerPoint and uh, deliver a presentation. And then there's a question and answer period after the presentation. And so that that's the only bit that you will definitively know before you... Uh, go into the interview so that is a part that you can really hone before you go in and make sure that you're 100% comfortable with it um, and that you're on time and that you um, can talk about the things that you've put into your slides the topics are deliberately broad so you can take any aspect of um, the topic that they've given and discuss it um, and you will be expected to cite some literature in your uh, presentation and then you may get asked further questions about the studies and things that you've cited so make sure that you are aware of the literature that you've cited in your presentation but that's quite an easy way to um, make sure that you start on a good foot in your interview so the presentation is the first thing that you do and then after your presentation you sit down with the panel and you get asked four different questions and the, the themes are kind of um, generally the same so there'll be a bit of a generic question about why respiratory or why grid or um, why you uh, sh you know why should you be given this job then there'll be a question a bit more based around research then there'll be um, a kind of clinical question and then there's a bit more of a kind of governancey type question um, talking to other people who've been through it will help you give get a um, idea of what kind of questions that they like to uh, ask but um, most of them with a bit of preparation beforehand in particular how how do you sell yourself and how like Chris was saying how do you bring everything back to a respiratory spin uh, in your answer you know if they ask you about a difficult situation um, that you've experienced clinically or a time when you've witnessed good leadership or bad leadership or those kind of questions, just have a think and start jotting down before your interview things that you could adapt or, or relate to respiratory medicine moving forward. Okay. And you've already mentioned some of the kind of common questions you get there. Like, I agree, they sound questions that you should really have answers for already because you're kind of anticipating them coming up like, like you're saying, why why respiratory, why you? Are there any other really common questions that come up that you think people should, you know, not have an answer prepared for, but maybe have a couple of examples ready if they need to go into more information? Um, they quite like the question about um, research, you know, uh, what paper in the last year or the last five years or the last 10 years um, have you seen that has affected... Uh, respiratory health um they do quite like those kind of questions or um they're papers that um 
you will have been exposed to or at least be exposed to the results of um, in your clinical practice. So are relatively easy to um, do some research on beforehand. So have a think about papers like that and have a couple prepared um, that you'd be happy to talk about. So um, things like using high flow and bronchiolitis came up in mine. Um, and the the other question that they quite like is um, what challenges do you or changes do you see in respiratory health moving forward so looking forward what where do you think um respiratory health is 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 going and where might those future challenges be and i think it's always good to just have a think about some of those questions and not prepare answers you don't want to sound like you've you know are just reading something off that you've memorized but have um a few things that you could talk about for um uh, in answer to these questions that's really helpful as well actually and I suppose one of the final things is you've talked about some of the bits of research that probably if you're doing a spiritual you're already aware of but are there any other good resources I think you've mentioned the BTS the, the thoracic fishes thoracic society are there any other resources that you think are good places for people getting ready for the interview to visit so actually, Don't Forget the Bubbles has quite a lot of good respiratory um, resources on it. And uh, the British um, Paediatric Respiratory Society has some resources on it. If you join the British Paediatric Respiratory Society, um, you can join the trainees group. So you'll be sent links to um, there's a lung in childhood teaching um, program that is run out of London that ha was initially um, one day every it was four four sessions a year um face to face teaching in london which actually they're now adapting to an online um teaching session uh because of the pan the global pandemic and they're open to everyone and they are free and um are good ways of getting a kind of summary of research that is coming out in various uh specialties each day tends to have a theme so there's kind of a asthma infection immunity day a cf day um those kind of things and so you can get access to those quite easily through the british pediatric respiratory society um and you get most of the teaching there is delivered by tertiary respiratory consultants in grid hospitals across the country so it can also give you some contacts if you're not sure who to contact in various centers across the country again that's really really useful tips there i think for anyone wanting to get ready for the interview I suppose the final question is how, how long does the interview last? You said there's a an inter, uh, a kind of presentation and then questions afterwards. It felt like a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> I think actually it was only about thirty minutes, um, and they do keep to time. They are you know because they have well when I did it obviously it was face to face and there was somebody waiting outside the room when I came out. Um, I'm assuming they're possibly adapting it to an online uh, interview uh, moving forward, but um, they are, they do keep to time. Um, and it, it, it is quite brief um, in retrospect, because um, 10 minutes of that is taken up with your presentation. And then you have the four questions. So you probably spend about five minutes on each extra question. Fantastic. Well, I think, Given everything that we've said today, I think there's a lot of people going to be trying to uh, to get into grid now in, in respiratory. Um, so you'll have a lot more people coming through the programme. 
So just um, want to say a big thank you to Claire and Chris today for joining us for the Respiratory Grid podcast. It's been really, really interesting hearing about your journey and really inspirational hearing about people who want to apply to respiratory. Um, thanks for all the information on um, why people should do respiratory and on the kind of bolstering their application forms and then uh, sailing through the interview. Um, and th- thanks for your time. You're welcome. And thank you to Alice and Tom for hosting that episode and to Chris and Claire for telling us so much about applying to the Respiratory Grid programme. As Claire hinted at towards the end of that podcast, it is worth bearing in mind that with COVID happening, if you're listening to this in 2020 or perhaps even in 2021, there may be significant changes to the interview process. So I can't recommend enough to go to the RCPCH website and and then tune into their webinars that they're having over the next few weeks to get you ready for the changes that will happen. Anyway, we'll have more career podcasts for you soon. Thank you for listening to Dragon Bites.